Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. Hello, Darren. Mo, it's nice to be home. It is nice to be home. We apologize for not having a podcast last week. Uh, That is because Darren had the amazing opportunity to get away for a week, much-deserved vacation, and... um, you you caught some fish, but not in a uh, not a traditional sense. This was like a very unique opportunity out, yeah. out west, right? Yeah, I mean, remember uh, a river runs through it, Brad Pitt. Yeah, scenery was. Yeah, so imagine, yeah, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> well, I mean, you Which, do resemble Alec yeah, Baldwin. Like if if Alec Baldwin had played Brad Pitt, <laughs> <laughs> like I felt like I resembled Anthony Hopkins way more than I did Brad Pitt. But but in the moment, I was feeling like I was Brad Pitt. No, I got a, uh, so our buddies at the Refuge Foundation uh, texted me on like Friday, like last Friday, whoever Friday was, and said, hey, if you can get to uh, Laramie, Wyoming by Monday, uh, somebody had canceled, you can come be with us for free for the week. And the answer to that is always yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I got on a plane on Monday and was like, hey, Shannon, uh, and my wife's amazing. She really is amazing. She, you know, so I, yeah, I spent some time in the mountains of Wyoming. With a bunch of uh, fellas from different parts of uh, society from around the country, and yeah. we fly fished and rode horses up mountains. Oh, and, wow! Uh, it was it was really great, actually. I'm glad, cool. I'm glad to be back, but I really enjoyed that. And Mo, I'm actually we are planned. This was actually planned, but Mo is actually going to go with me to this same place. So I'm super stoked uh, <laughs> to get you up there. It's, yeah, it's I'm really excited to actually get out of my own zip code. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't travel much. I never have. Yeah. Unless I needed to. Yeah. I'm at the point where I, I kind of need to. You need to. Yeah. Yeah. Before I was need to because one of your bands are about to break up. Right. right like in right. Dallas or whatever. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to get you on a horse. Have you been on a, you've, have you ridden I, a horse? Yeah. I've ridden horses. Like Maybe. at the, at the fair, like where they're tied to a thing in the middle and in a circle. No, no. I mean, I rode a horse a few times back in the day. Um, my mom was a huge, is a huge horse lover. And so we would do horses every now and then. I did not know that. Oh yeah. She, she grew up riding horses. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm sorry, there's a layer of mo that I need to get to now. So <laughs> th- you're not talking like ponies at like the circus. Like this no, is horses, like horses. horses. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. And, and then I rode a horse up a volcano a year ago. That's fair. We did do that. But those are Guatemalan horses. <laughs> those, those, be, those are kind of a poor example of a horse. Yeah, those are like if Dante had a eight levels of hell for a horse, <laughs> that would have been level nine, which yeah. is carrying fat white guys up a volcano all day long. Like I could, in my mind, thinking those horses are just begging for this thing to be erupt and just put them out of their misery. Just right. get us all over with. But right. like you could set a bomb off next to one of those horses. And they're no like, well, much. I guess that's just the way it is. But, yeah. So I'm definitely excited yeah. to get some, some new scenery uh, in front of me. It's been, it's been a while. Um, but so that's, you know, that's why we weren't necessarily able to do a podcast last week. We had to punt and move some stuff around. And so we're back this week, of course, and we are continuing in our new sermon series, Essential Church, um, which, again, is timely. I think it's always it's always timely. The Lord always just kind of leads us and yeah. directs us to um, cover things that 
need to be talked about. And so here we are. We are diving into specifically Acts 2, 42 through 47, talking about the early church and what what the church, why the church is essential, uh, was essential, st- still is essential, and for very specific reasons, as laid out in Acts 2, 42, the first week oh. being uh, about the teaching the Word of God, this week being about fellowship. Yeah. And there's some interesting definitions to fellowship. There are. And it's, you know, fellowship growing up meant the fellowship hall at the church, uh, like goulash, uh, potluck dinners. Do they have potluck dinners? A hundred percent. Dude, I grew up looking forward to the potluck Sundays. Right? I mean, that was a Sunday afternoon, very Baptist right. thing to do with banana pudding somewhere on the table. Well, we called them pot blessing dinners because, blessing well, because luck. God, there's no such thing as luck in God. It's all, you know, it's all his favorite. Stuff. Oh man, uh, that's actually 100 percent true. By the pot way, it's blessing. kind of embarrassing. But pot kind of has its own negative. Well, you know, we were from Nebraska; it was a cash crop up there. But <laughs> we, uh, the thing though, is you get older in the potluck dinners, is then you start to like maybe you visit somebody's grandma's house who made the goulash, and you realize she has a lot of cats. Oh no! Like I wonder. Uh, the cat hair that's on the oh, counter here. I wonder good. if that ends up in the in the goulash. In the goulash, if that you know. So as I got older, you know, of course I've eaten some weird stuff around the world, but I get a little nervous at the pot uh, pot blessing dinners uh, in my hometown now because I don't know what's going to be in that. But but that was fellowship in my mind, like fellowship hall, go have dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biblical definition of it, this word koinonia. Is, is resembles almost nothing of what we would have thought it to be and honestly uh, speaks so much to where we are as a society right now and one of the reasons why church is essential. Um, what's happening in this past year, and it's literally happening literally right now in Uganda and about to be in Kenya as well. We had a, a, a team over there, for people from our church in Kenya that literally took one of the last flights out as some cities in Kenya were beginning to lock down uh, because of the COVID right. uh, epidemic. Now, to be clear, there are 42 million people that live in Uganda. Mm-hmm. 589 people have died of COVID-19 in the last year. Okay, 25 to 30,000 have died of malaria, and that's a very, very low number. It's probably wow. much higher. 50,000 have died from diarrhea. Wow. And my point is, is that there's a disproportionate response in this because what's happening right now, when they say shut down, they're going to shut down churches because they believe churches are not an essential service. Uh, if you go to Uganda right now, uh, the uh, grocery stores will be open. Some of the markets are open. Uh, their uh, rescue uh, operation, which is which really not that great. I mean, if you get hurt over there, they're basically throwing you in the back of a pickup and driving you somewhere. Those are open, but they want the churches to shut down. And so what happened last time is what's happening this time. And that is that uh, there is no refrigerator. You get shut down. There's no check coming. So they're now trapped in their homes. Uh, and the fellowship, the essential service of a church in Uganda, we just, I literally just got this email uh, like 20 minutes ago. We sent uh, $20,000 that went yesterday and this is from jemima which is not a great name by the way it's great you gotta dear pastor darren and conduit family we sincerely admire your selflessness and willingness to help others 
from the depths of our hearts. Thank you so much for this exceptional donation. The food relief has just been sent in the right time when many people have almost nothing to eat due to the total lockdown in Uganda. I wish to say thank you over and over again. May God truly bless you all. That's from Jemima Tendo, who actually runs the books over there. But the churches are who are going to distribute this stuff. Like it is the churches that we have planted that will now be getting, they'll be picking up food. Some of them, by the way, this is actually illegal. Like they could actually get in trouble because go figure, uh, helping people is illegal. I mean, as crazy as our country is, and it is crazy, we at least were able to deliver food, but they're not uh, necessarily allowed to there. But these churches, the pastors will pick up the food. Uh, they'll load their pickups with it. This will represent 80,000 meals that will be distributed. Uh, literally by now they're already, so it's like, uh, it's evening time there. So they've already started today. And if that's not an essential service, like I don't know what is. Right. This is maddening. This is absolutely maddening. Oh, it's infuriating. Well, who's making these decisions? Well, the go- so shall we go down a five hole? Or well, I mean, the Ugandan <laughs> government has, they came to a point where they made a decision. We must lock down. Right. Knowing the numbers, how, it's, how it affects their communities, and they still felt like this was prudent. Yes. They Based are on what? A country, average age in Uganda is 16.7 years old. That's that is the, the average age? It's the average age. Okay, it's a very young country because the average mortality is somewhere around 58 to 60 years old. Wow. Right? Average death of COVID, 78 years old. So by the time, that's why there's only been 589 deaths in this country because they're already dead. It's sad. It's not funny. I don't mean to say that glibly at all. So why would they do this? And I wonder if the influence of the Chinese government, now everybody's like, of course, that's, that's conspiracy theory. But in just the last decade, but specifically the last five years, and I've talked about it, I think I've talked about it on this podcast, the presence of the Chinese government in East Africa has exponentially exploded. Uh, in Kenya, there's a deep water port that they built they, meaning the Chinese government, uh, loaning the money to Kenya, who then has to hire a Chinese state-owned company. So it's basically, hey, I'll, I'll build your church for you. Uh, I'm gonna loan you the money, uh, but then you have to hire my company. So I'm basically, the money's still my money, right. and you gotta pay it back. And of course, the Kenyan government is never gonna be able to pay back this hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's a highway now that it reaches from this port in Kenya that will stretch all the way to northern Uganda, where there are oil and other minerals. Um, and by the way, even in our iPhone, cobalt, like the, the minerals required to make the electronics, that's all coming out of Africa right now. Yeah. So the Chinese influence there, it, it, not the Chinese people, but the Chinese government, the Chinese businesses, there's hardly any such thing as an independent Chinese company. They're all owned by the, by the state. And when you factor in that this uh, virus came out of the Wuhan lab of Wuhan respiratory virus, I mean, that, uh, the bit that John Stewart did with Stephen Colbert was hilarious. And it was them that decided locking down is the best way to mitigate a virus. Like, that's not something that's been done before. Like, that's not like this long-standing principle that we've done over the years. That just started, and it started in Wuhan, China. So if Chinese government is exerting any sort of influence whatsoever over, you know, whether implicit or explicit in Uganda, it's very possible 
that that's part of it because it sure as heck is not about saving lives. If it is, they are deeply uh, flawed and stupid human beings. So this is this is happening in Uganda. This is happening in, like you said, in Kenya, yep. where entire countries being locked down due to minor, I mean, seemingly in, uh, insignificant numbers of cases. We're not even talking deaths. We're just right. talking cases. Right. And, of course, the people say, well, they're not testing, so that's why we don't have cases. And, of course, there's an argument to be made that we've got so many cases here because they're testing so many people that have, you know, are asymptomatic. But, but one thing that's never happened in Uganda, it's not happened in Kenya, it sure as heck never happened in Haiti, is the hospitals never overwhelmed. Like, they never had the bodies piling up. And, the, sure. you know, the, the images you saw coming out of India, that was true. That happened. You've got 1.3 billion people. So even if... 5% of them are sick or whatever, that, that will overwhelm a hospital system really quickly. But their hospital systems are overwhelmed, you know, every day. But you never even saw that in those places. And so they've locked it down. And, and when it comes back to the church and why we believe that we are an essential service is that, you know, in America, we're kind of used to the government sending us, you know, magic money in the mail. Apparently, you can just print money and give it away. Like, I wish I knew that. I would have just made my own money. I didn't know you had to actually get, mm-hmm. you know, I thought you could just make it home on a printer. But anyway, in Uganda, that's not happening for them. And so on Sunday for us, our church once again rose to the occasion. It's about 25 cents per meal. You know, we're not talking like lamb, right? We're talking rice, rice and beans, beans protein. Um, but 25 cents a meal and we raised $22,000 as of this, we sent 20 of it already, 2000 already came back in, but you know, that 2000, that's not insubstantial. That's another 8,000 meals right. that we're going to be able to, to help with. And that, what we just did there, most people would think, okay, you just took an offering for some people and did something really nice. The Bible calls that fellowship, right? Exactly. That's what fellowship is. Um, we read it on Sunday, but Second Corinthians 9, Paul's talking about the offering. I'm going to bring it to the saints in Jerusalem that are uh, suffering and, uh, and need help. And when he says contribution, like he, like he wouldn't have passed the contribution plate. The word contribution, it's, it's koinonia, it's fellowship. He would have passed the fellowship plate. Yeah. Right. There's no offering bucket. There's the fellowship bucket. And we passed the fellowship bucket, uh, of course, virtually, because nobody carries cash anymore. Um, but that is the meaning of fellowship, and that is exactly what makes a church essential uh, as a service. And we might, and I'll say this, we might be a little more aggressive than other churches, but all churches on some level are doing this. Sure. You know, we're not special in that way. Uh, and by the way, if your church is not doing that, maybe you should. Um, but for the most part, maybe they're not talking about it on Sundays, but, th- but that happens, and that is a part of being a, an essential church is literally today in Uganda, there are people, there are children who will go to sleep tonight with a little bit of food in their stomach who wouldn't otherwise because we came together as an essential service here in the United States. Does the Ugandan government, we're obviously we're picking on Uganda because it's fresh. This is happening right now. It's in the news. And, well, maybe not be in the news cycle, but we're aware of it. Um, does the Uganda government, what do they think of churches doing this or helping feed are they even aware that's a good question um because it's different say like than nepal or pakistan because uganda would consider themselves a christian nation 
Uh, and by the way, so far have done a very good job of rooting out like radical Islam. Like they're they're not interested in radical Islam at all. Wow. Yeah. In their country, uh, so they would consider themselves that. But what what has been maddening to me is that um, they they you know what they probably do what your parents or my parents would do. Well, a doctor said it, so it must be true. Like I just heard this medical professional on the news say this, so this must be the only way. Uh, to do that. And I remember one of my little buddies over there, he's like 20 years old. He, he could not possibly weigh more than 120 pounds. He's thin, in good shape, and he got uh, diagnosed with COVID and was genuinely afraid. Yeah. Genuinely afraid, as if he'd gotten typhoid or Ebola. Yeah. And I'm trying to encourage him saying, hey, bro, you have a 99.999% chance. Like when you had malaria last year, you had a bigger chance of dying right. and you weren't scared of malaria were you you know because over there they're not scared of malaria like we are here they just don't like it because i know it sucks sure um they just really it's like flu like but like with uh with an extra dose of like needles being jabbed all over your body it's just not a very fun <laughs> wow uh, yeah. disease it's a parasite but it's not a virus but but because the only thing they're hearing is from uh, legacy media and for there, it would be BBC, Al Jazeera, uh, with a whole bunch of journalists that e they're either willfully complicit or just uh, willfully uh, it, not curious and ignorant. Because you can read these stories about these countries and you you keep looking, okay, now this is the part where they tell me the numbers. Right. This is the part where they say, oh, the, the hospitals in Kampala, they're stacking up the bodies. This is the part. None of that. And the reason it's not in there is because it's not happening. And nobody's asking the question. I, I look. I remember. I mean. I mean. I guess. Remember. It's Mo at ConduitChurch.com. <laughs> but I remember when somebody wrote a hit piece on Ramsey Solutions last year about their Christmas party. And they, oh, they're not wearing masks. He's not forcing them to wear masks, and it's awful. This thing. And and there's a thousand employees. And in this article, he says, and oh, this is December. We're six. We're nine months in. Uh, and they have a um, uh, hundred cases. And I'm reading it going, only 100 cases? A 1,000 people working without being required to wear masks before the vaccine? And, and, and only 100 cases? Like, that should be, like, the banner headline. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah, like, we should be dancing up and down Seaboard Lane celebrating that. But instead, it was, you know, because it was a, a jur journalist, and I use that word extremely loosely, uh, who wasn't curious enough to ask a question of, wait, if there's only 100, wait, you know, maybe... Maybe there's some good news in this. And I think that because that's the narrative, whether it's Uganda, Kenya, or Mayor Cooper in downtown Nashville, a lack of curiosity and a lack of willingness to look at the actual facts and instead to just jump right in with the narrative is exactly what's doing this in Uganda. Now, is the Chinese government exerting heavy influence on them? I don't know if they're doing it in their medical, but I, I know 100% they're exerting influence in every other part of Ugandan society. And uh, what that means for the future of churches there, I don't know. Yeah. I know what it means for churches in China right now, which is they're under the, you know, under the microscope. Um, and I know that as long as we are free here in the United States, that coming together for this kind of fellowship... It, you know, it may be that someday we're not needing to have this kind of fellowship just for uh, Uganda, but even for our own. Yeah, and quite frankly, I'm reminded again of our friends in Canada. Yeah, I mean they're they're under 
uh, they're under attack. I mean, clearly under attack. Um, we are what, 18 months into this, into the COVID-19 era. Yeah. Um, you talk about essential churches, Canadian Christians know exactly what, what it's, what's going on and what it's going to take to survive and to gather. I mean, they're having to literally secretly meet Yeah, in the woods. In the woods. I mean, this is 2021 right now. This is happening right now. Yeah. And we're 18 months in. Literally, I would I would challenge someone to a fist fight uh, if for proof. Maybe there'd be a couple people I probably wouldn't challenge. <laughs> but if you're if you're really small and not very strong, I'll challenge you to a fist fight. Uh, there is no evidence that that is of danger of a small church coming together to gather. We're done with that. Like we're long past that. And so, whatever reason it is in Canada, it isn't science no. for sure. And I would go so far as to say that it's demonic, not to over spiritualize, but we cannot under spiritualize in this current age because the one thing that was told that was the thing that would cure this virus, that we could win against this virus was to isolate ourselves, to go be by ourselves, to lock ourselves in our homes, churches included, schools included. And it's the one thing that that there's not a psychologist in the country that it was worth the $150 an hour that would say that that's a really good idea for your emotional health. Go lock yourself in a closet somewhere until we give you the all clear sign. Nowhere on the planet is that a good idea for emotional health. And that was... Uh, that was our diagnosis or prognosis. What is it called? A prescription for that. It was our prescription. Do this. And obviously we're seeing the results of it right now, even here. But then you take it a step further and now they're saying, and I don't even know who they are anyway. I always hate to say they, because I don't know who they are. But there seems to be a they out there somewhere saying, okay, these things can open and these things can open. But churches in many places aren't, thank the Lord, we are in a place now where in the United States, people, I mean, not that we ever listen to them anyway, but uh, but churches do seem to be reopening here. But so you've got those folks next uh, in Canada where that's still the case. And they've certainly got a precedent here that the minute government says it again, they've already proven that they can do it uh, yeah. to send people away from their gatherings, away from their churches. Uh, yeah. Demonic. It definitely feels like there's spiritual forces involved at this point. I mean, because, you know, the greed can only go so far, it feels like. It feels like there's an amount of greed involved in terms of, um, I mean, I just think of how the the irony of even Amazon during a pandemic and the conflict of interest with fear-mongering headlines of Washington Post um, driving the sales potentially of, of Amazon. Um, both owned by the same person. Um, I just can't help but think that, you know, that the greed only goes so far and the power trip only goes so far. That's got to come from somewhere else. And it just feels like there's a spiritual force globally orchestrating so much of this division. It's not unifying. It's divisive. Yeah. When you, um, when you read the importance uh, the command of you know gather together, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, you know uh, that's it permeates scripture that we are to be together, and now the very thing that we need, which anthropologists, sociologists, 
humanists, they all know it. It's not like this is brand new information. They, the only difference is they would say we evolved to need this. We would say we were created for right. it. But to divide us, um, that's the thing that's important about this series in my mind is that we have to be devoted to this, to getting together, devoted to fellowship, like devoted to it. Because the world right now is devoted to keeping us from it like devoted to separating us from each other scientifically, socially, politically, religiously. Uh, I mean, it's funny now, like if I get an email that someone's mad because like a woman taught on a Sunday, I'm like, oh, thank God that we can talk about that one. Like that's, right. you know, which is so much better than, you know, the, 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 the divisive, pervasive, like, you know, gross uh, types of division that we're seeing even in our own community. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about on Sunday how the church was essential for you in your in your upbringing in your you know the formative years. Um, what what how did that help shape who you are today? How did the church? You I mean you, you mentioned it, it was essential to kind of your yeah you know your spiritual formation in a lot of ways. Like what was the tipping point there for you? Yeah, the tipping is really so. When people talk about small towns, a lot of times they romanticize it. And I don't even know if anybody from my town listens to this. Probably not. But inside of like small towns, you know, you... How small? Uh, 1,800 people. Small town. Yeah. And important to know that it's not like 1,800 people on the outskirts of Nashville. Right. This is 1,800 people and the nearest town that was a city was uh, an hour away and it was 24,000 people. And that was the city because it had a mall, stoplights... Uh, and a Wendy's. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty remote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's hard to get there. It's easier to get to Haiti than it is to get to my hometown. But inside of those are, the, you know, it's, the, you know, you are treated the way you're treated because it's the way your parents were treated. It's because your grandparents, it literally goes down the line. But you don't know that when you're five. Sure. Um, your last name precedes you. Yeah. 100%. And so when this church rolls into town, this pastor that decides to start a church in my hometown, uh, I finally had a people that were our people. Like at school when you get picked on or whatever, I had like this safe place. It was called a church. And now ironically, the church made it, we got picked on because we went to the church. Um, But I had this people that were my people. And to be there a couple months ago for the 40 year anniversary and to see... I was looking around the room going, oh, man, he's old. And, oh, golly, man, she's old. And it was like with the, uh, the celebration of life service for Tankersley, looking at all those music industry people going, oh, man, he really looks old. And realizing, oh, I'm old. Yeah, so so are we. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> There's a reason everybody looks so old, because I'm old. But those relationships, like, transcended time even. Like, to this day, you can just pick up right where I left off. But deeper than that, it wasn't just about the relationship, like being buddies, which it was. But, man, my family financially was helped. We were, it was a safety net for my family that I wouldn't be where I am today without that. It was that church, that fellowship. And and did it require coming together week after week, after month, after year? Yeah, like it did. And there were times when people didn't like each other and we had conflict with each other. But we didn't quit on each other. You know, it, we couldn't. It wasn't like we didn't have a whole lot of options. But we didn't. And it built something deep and profound to 
that I don't know if, if we're lucky, you know, we're 10 years in on this conduit journey. If we're lucky, maybe we get to experience some of that, you know, that our kids someday will look back on this journey as having that as a, their own safety net and their own like tribe of belonging together. Yeah. And you had that, right? Well, for sure. I mean, you're 10 years younger than me, but I mean, I grew up in the church. I mean, I literally have been in a church, uh, since I was in diapers, I was probably three months old every Sunday for the past 40 years. I remember riding in the, uh, in the, in the, in the Sunday school bus with my dad, he was a bus, uh, a school bus driver, not a school bus driver, a Sunday school bus driver. You know, when you go pick up kids. So wait, mom's a horse lady and well, dad's she, a bus yeah, driver. Well, of course, man. And so my, yeah, my dad had a bus route on a Sunday morning and, and I would, uh, I would sit on his lap and, 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 you know, ride with him. I mean, I've been, I've been, did you guys hand out bubble gum? You name it, dude. We've done it. All the VBSs, uh, I mean, everything, everything church related, every time the doors were open. I mean, that was just something I learned early on. I mean, I've just, just been a part of the churchdom for my entire life. How cold was that bus, man, when you got on it? <laughs> so you remember Ohio wintertime? It's time oh, to go yeah, pick up man. the people. Do you get Absolutely. in there when it was cold still? It's cold. It takes a while to warm it up. Warm it up. Yeah, we'd, we'd, I remember my dad would go fire that thing up and then go make a cup of coffee you know, did you park it at your house? No, we'd we'd go to the church and then fire it up and then go get a cup of coffee and donuts and then walk back to the bus, get it warmed up and then head out. I mean, I was probably three, four, five years old. Yeah, I remember that. You so, know, my dad drove a church bus too. Did you know that? I don't no, think I've ever told you that. No. Yeah, I, we we parked it at our house. Now he's got like a RV. It looks like a meth mobile, but, <laughs> but it was like a school bus. But well, yeah, it was the same thing. He'd turn it on and just be freezing in the winter, and he'd hand out like super bubble to like the old ladies that would ride the bus. Yeah. And, but, but, but so I mean, the church was essential for me in the sense of that it it helped sculpt uh, everything about community, um, ideology, spiritual formation, like all those things. It's been. A part of my life. I had an incredible youth group that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's definitely years where, you know, you want to question everything you've ever learned because it's all that you know, but you don't, ha I didn't, thankfully didn't have to stray very far to, to come back to boomerang back to the fact that, man, the community of believers has been everything for our, my family. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that uh, secular humanists, um, would not understand. Like when Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a child and you know, everybody kind of went up in an uproar, and I did too, because I'm not interested in handing my children over to some strange bureaucrat to you know tell them how to live and what shots they can and can't have. And, but she was scratching the surface of something that the Bible does allude, like allude to, which is, it may I don't know about a village, but it does take a church. For sure. Like if you're in a church together, it isn't just like if they say shut it down and the only thing we're doing, I've said it before, is if you're just having some great songs and a nice relevant message, you know, then maybe we should have shut down if, if that's what it was. Yeah. But it's not what it is. And that's why we say I'm not I literally don't even care to try to do for the government anymore. I'm not trying to explain to the government, talk them into that we're an essential service. Uh, I'm just trying to convince each other of that right now because we need it now 
and the worst time to try to build a community is when you're being torn apart by something like having that community in place already is the time. And that's what this early church is easy to romanticize about the Acts two church that we've been, which we haven't even read the scripture yet, but you know, they came together, they were devoted to these things, to prayer, to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, but they were surrounded by people who were hostile to them. Right. That they were not in a place where people uh, supported what they were doing and they didn't know it, but it was only just getting warmed up. The persecution was just beginning to start. Like the, they had not been dispersed yet. They, uh, the, the diaspora hadn't happened. The, the temple hadn't been sacked. That's still 40 years into the future. But having this kind of a community, I believe, is what allowed this thing to survive, this thing called Christianity to survive, because these folks survived together. That was true whether it was in Rome, it was in Corinth, or in Jerusalem. They came together and devoted themselves to these four things. And that's the point of this whole series. It's a point, it's a reminder for us, is that, hey, the church buses, those things, man, they're fun. Uh the worship, all, all, everything we do is, is great. But if you're not devoted to these four things, then everything else becomes a work. Everything else burns you up or burns you out. Because the next verse is one of the things we just talked about. We're feeding widows and orphans, right? Like they did that. They had everything in common. They gave to those who had a need. We did that on Sunday. But if we become devoted to that and we become the Red Cross or whatever, that's not... Uh, what sustains us in the hard times. It's devotion to these four things. And the idea, of course, is is that if we uh, uh, aren't devoted to them, right, the opposite happens. But the idea that we can be devoted to them also has the idea that we kind of have to make a decision of what we're going to devote ourselves to. Yeah. And there's a lot. I mean, you, you had sports with your kids, right? I mean, you, For sure. Both your boys in football. Yeah. You know, that's not a bad thing. Right. Not at all. But you were still devoted to getting your butt to church on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, yeah, I mean, both both boys played football all through middle school, all through high school, um, played on the field. They weren't just bystanders, uh, which meant, you know, you've got to be at every practice. you got to be at every game. Yeah. It wasn't no just, hey, coach, we're going to. You know, we're going to be gone on vacation this week. It's like, no, they tell you when you go on vacation, (laughs) right? which is actually true. Um, But we knew it was bigger than just football. It was it was the community of believers within even uh, the football team and the football community Um, and knowing that um, it was it was way bigger than than just a game. It was an opportunity for us to uh, to share our faith. It was an opportunity for our for our boys, young men, to to share their faith. Only if we were grounded in a in a church body, yeah. Like that was the default. It's like okay, we can do all these things, but there has to have a point to it. Yeah. Like, what's the point? To all you know, it's, it's great to have fun and, and be athletic and score touchdowns and, and all those things, but. What's the bigger picture? What does this represent for our family and for the community? Um, and so the baseline, the foundation of that was a church family yeah. like, to come home to, to like, that was the, that was the calibration. That was the compass North. Yeah. It was the church family was first. Um, 
And then, which was really cool because that then allowed, you know, our, our boys to invite their friends to church outside of football, outside of the locker room. There was relationship just beyond the lines on the field. Yeah. Um, and we had some really cool things that happened from that. We had, we had a Bible study group that popped up. We had 20, 20 boys that would meet in our bonus room every Sunday night for a Bible study. Of course, we were feeding them spaghetti. Sure. Uh, you know, By the you, buckets, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you feed them, they will come. But over the course of you know two or three years of that Bible study, that was more than just football, you know we baptized kids in our pool in our backyard. At the end of that, right? It's really special moments, and we have relationship with those boys today. I mean, you know, our kids have been out of high school a couple of years, and a hand handful of them, 10, 12 of those boys showed up to my oldest son's wedding um, because there's still there's still a community, right? And in like in like faith and like minded and. Um, really special. It's really special to have that church family as your ground zero, as the backbone. Yeah, that was. I guess that's what I was wondering with you because that's. It's. I want people to be sure to hear me say that I'm not saying that their kids shouldn't be out for sports. I'm just. That's a ridiculous idea, and you, proving that an involvement in it actually actually brings you more into the community, more of a chance to influence in the community. That's. Right. It's not an either or. But what I am saying is that if that becomes the devotion and then at the expense of a church family in place, then uh, you and I mean, you're really putting an infrastructure in place for your kids, for for their kids. I mean, for it, generations. You it's know? a house of cards. It's a house of cards. If, if that's if that's what you want to play by, like if 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 you're just doing it uh, in place of a church family or a biblical foundation of community then that, that house is going to crumble. I've just seen it happen so many times to so many families. Yeah. Um, people that we, you know, I hate the phrase, but did life with in the sports world, you know, growing up, where that was the thing, man. Like travel ball every every week, all every opportunity. But, you know, your kid makes one mistake on the field or it's all of a sudden stops hitting the baseball and is no longer any good. <laughs> How quickly... How quickly yeah. that coach will dismiss that that kid or that family? Oh, interesting! And, and relegate them to another team, or won't ask them back for the next season, and you're left with nothing. It's oh, like you're, you're chasing you're chasing the wind, and that foundation is it's really elusive. Yeah, and it's 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 an illusion. It's an illusion of community in a lot of ways. I'm not saying you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It is, is not black and white. There's a ton of gray areas, and there's a ton of variables, but having a church family community as your foundation that then you build upon is not no longer a house of cards. It's, it's foundational. It's stable. It can handle when your kid gets cut from the team. It can handle when hard times come um, and things don't make sense. Or your kid, you know, what, wakes up one day and says, you know what? I'm burnt out. I don't want to play this sport anymore. Yeah. And everything that you build up and propped up and hoped would happen for that college scholarship is no more. You still have something to fall back upon that is eternal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jesus said he was going to build his church on a rock, right? On this rock, I will build my church on this foundation. Uh, he didn't say, I'm going to build our sports team on this foundation. I'm going to build uh, our canasta club or whatever. Like, or whatever it is, fill yeah, in the yeah. blank. Yeah. Um, those are amazing things. But to have a devotion to, I mean, I, I, I mean, I know I take for granted, but, you know, think about if you're not in an environment where like once a week, you're literally sitting in a chair and examining yourself. 
against the truth of, of the world, against the, we would say the Bible, the truth. Like people don't really think about like, that's a pretty awesome opportunity that we get every week to literally sit with other group of people and to hear the word of God, to sing, to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us and examine where we are. Yeah. Like if you don't do that with your life, I mean, uh, it's, 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 I take it for granted, but that's, you know, being devoted to the apostles teaching. It was to the word of God, but it was literally in a group setting to hear the, you know, God's word taught, explained and applied in my life, like on a regular basis. Uh, we take it for granted, but that's important. And that's, again, those four things, being devoted. We did, we talked about that last week, being devoted to his word. And then this week was devoted to fellowship because beyond the the fellowship of uh, of just hanging out for goulash, that devotion to fellowship uh, is literally, um, what's, I, mean, I can say with probably, maybe not literal, but with figurative certainty saved my life growing up. It brought me to where I am. But I can say that our fellowship of conduit this past week is literally saving lives and heading into a, an uncertain future, knowing that I've got a group of brothers and sisters that have got each other's back. Uh, I sleep a little better at night. Me too. And, and I, I think there's, there's, I, I have a sense of urgency for this because I think we all do. I think this is why we're doing this series. We have to wake up to the fact that culturally we are we are in an information war. We are just at war. There is a spiritual war happening. You are devoted to something. And if you're not devoted to anything, for sure the world is trying to get your devotion using every means possible. And I think what we've experienced over the past 15 to 18 months is... Um, is lightweight of what's to come. Like I, I'm, I'm yeah. not to be, you know, chicken little and <laughs> all of those things. Um, Debbie downer, but I do believe like this isn't going away. This and not even just COVID. I'm just talking about the, this, this, this ideology of, of division. It's going to permeate. It is permeating our culture now. And, a um, a disease, a um, a pandemic is the vehicle in which it is is being used. Yeah. Also, politics, et cetera, et cetera. They are now combining forces to crawl, to cause division. I just think there's a sense of urgency for us to come together and understand how essential the church really is. Because just as in the early church, it was just starting to get hard. You can see this playing out over the next decade. That it's going to get harder and harder for believers and Christians in a post-Christian culture. Just look to our Northern friends yeah, and see what's coming. And it brings, uh, I don't know. In the one sense it brings, it could bring some uncertainty, but it, to me it brings peace because, you know, Jesus said it was going to happen. Yes. Uh, the New Testament speaks like, you know, hey, in those in those last days, scoffers are going to come, mockers, and they're, you know, like, exactly what we're experiencing right now. So it's like, oh, so maybe Jesus, the return is isn't near. Like we're really experiencing that, and it brings peace because I know that I am blessed with brothers and sisters that we've got each other's back, yeah. um, and I know that many churches have that. But I, you know, I, even if I wasn't a pastor here, like this. 
our brothers and sisters at Conduit, like we we figure crap out. Like yeah. I one hundred percent know that whatever is coming, that I've got some brothers and sisters that have my back. Um, I heard uh, Dennis Prager in an interview with a pastor, uh, Rob McCoy. Yeah. And uh, he said one of the uh, Dennis Prager, for those that know, is, is Jewish. And he says that one of the greatest compliments a Jewish person could give to someone is if if we were in another Holocaust, would you have my back? Would you protect me? And he told this pastor that I believe you would. You know, you're yeah. a friend of mine. And that was, yeah, it was really like sobering. And then realizing for me, okay, I've never experienced Holocaust or I, I, I'm not Jewish. But to know, I look around this room on a Sunday, and I know that whatever happens here, that people have got my back, and I've got their back, that that's a pretty comforting feeling. Yeah. Um, and in a church environment, uh, like, I don't know where else I would get that. Like, I don't think I'd get that. I mean, I know I didn't get it with my kid's soccer team. I mean, <laughs> sure. you know, we had to bring treats one Sunday or Saturday, whatever it was, but... But we didn't get that. Like, if it went down, I don't think that my daughter's cheerleading squad was coming to help us. Right. You know, great cheerleading squad, great, great kids, great parents. But dadgum, man, if something goes down here, you don't think Jason Kuhn ain't going to be here tomorrow or tonight, you know, with his right. whatever he's got to do. I mean, we got we got people, you know, John yeah. Williams across the street. I mean, <laughs> uh, we're in good shape here with people with each. And I I'm enormously blessed with that and I pray that if people listening to this don't have that 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 you find it um, because it's part of what it means to fellowship um, it's a family thing it's not just uh, a group or a club like genuinely a family thing that is uh, deeper than the family that I grew up in um, love my family mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely love them, but I don't know that they'd get in a car and drive here. You know, if it got, if it got rough, you know, and if you're listening and you're wrong, you can go ahead and email me, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know that my church would would hear, um, and I think that you know, look, if 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 you're willing to let something in your private life do, because I know this, our church family especially, we were not the kind of people let the government tell us we can't have a church service. Our church numbers went up in the pandemic, which is fascinating. And a lot of more people that, hey, we're not going to let the government tell us what we can't do. And I said this the first Sunday, and it's probably worth repeating. Let's make a commitment to ourselves that we're not going to let something in our private life do what we wouldn't let the government do, you know, to pull us away from fellowship right. with each other. Right, that's true. Uh, and you guys that are listening, if you don't know this, you should. If you've been around me a while, you know I'm not here to harass over. you got to be in church every time the doors are open. That's literally not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a devotion to fellowship, a devotion to it does mean being here. It means being together, whether in small groups on a Tuesday or church on a Sunday. But, but this is not just a event that we bought a ticket for and we watched something and went home. And you would think... All of the events that have happened over the past 15 months would help make that not so such a convincing argument. <laughs> like, like it doesn't have to be that complicated of an argument just by looking back at how our society dealt with being isolated for the past 15 months. Like the value that comes from linking arms together in a, in a like-minded community um, seems to be like the most obvious thing that you would want to do, especially as maybe a young family with young kids, like 
helping establish that foundational understanding of, of community, man, it seems like a no brainer. But isn't it amazing how fast we humans can forget this stuff? It's incredibly fast. Uh, this book tribe that I've been back in re-engaged in, um, it's Sebastian Younger, uh, war correspondent, yada, yada. But he talks about in the war in Sarajevo and he specifically talks about this young lady that, uh, was taken out of Sarajevo to be rescued, but she wanted to go back because she missed uh, what it was like during the war. She missed the closeness. She missed the unity of it all. But the thing that she said was after we got done, uh, after we got done and the war was over, she said, we really quickly forgot uh, how close we were and that we became bad people is what she said. And now, of course, she's a secular humanist. I would say that's Romans 1. We're bad. You know, at the core of who we are, we have to be saved. That's what the gospel is all about. But that's what we do. Like, it was rough. We were, we were, I mean, remember, like, even the first Sunday after the shutdown, I mean, our live stream numbers were through the roof. Yeah. Right? Because it, it, it drove us together. And then we began to even see our numbers go down. Maybe it's just because we're not, I'm not that good on camera. Probably not. <laughs> Probably some of it because you got Stephen Furtick right next door. But uh, but also just because, you know, you start to, okay, we're, I'll get back to that eventually. I'll get back. Yeah, and some people thought that. And then some people never got back. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same reason gym memberships are, uh, you know, through the roof on a jan- in January and trail off by the second week of February. I mean, we are just... Humans are terribly predictable and terribly undisciplined, <laughs> which is why it's a command, like to be devoted. Like it, it requires action. It requires discipline. It requires a commitment. It's intentional. We're just, you're not going to just happen, you know, happenstance, you know, fall backwards into community. Um, it's, it's just takes work. It, it takes yeah. real commitment. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why the Lord allows these things so often. I mean, it's it certainly, in our country, the fact that we gather as freely as we do is the exception and not the rule in history. True. Um, and maybe he allows it because it does, because he knows that as humans, that's the one thing that's going to drive you together. Um, this this passage from this book, uh, I, I would love to pronounce her name, but I just can't. It's spelled... A-H-M-E-T-A-S-E-V-I-C with a couple little squigglies on top. Uh, but she talked about during the war uh, that she finally got back. She flew into, so she gets back to this blown up you know, city in Sarajevo and she says, but I missed being that close to people in the war. I missed being loved in that way, she told me. In Bosnia, as it is now, we don't trust each other anymore. We became really bad people. We didn't learn the lesson of the war which is how important it is to share everything you have with human beings close to you. The best way to explain it is that the war makes you an animal. We were animals. It's insane. But that's the basic human instinct to help another human being who is sitting or standing or lying close to you. And he asks her uh, if people had been happier during the war. And she says, we were the happiest. And then she added, and we laughed more. Wow. Which doesn't it sound so counterintuitive? Oh, totally. To it. But it's it was that it was a war that drove them together and the point that I think the Bible makes in Acts 2 is that without a war we have to really be devoted to this. 
Um, I promise you right now in Africa, in Uganda, there are brothers and sisters who are buying rice and they're, they're getting ready for tomorrow. And they're coming together in a way that is uh, beautiful and unifying. And we are so blessed because we don't have those challenges in front of us right now. And I would also say that that's probably why Jesus said that it was impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, because where we are is very, very difficult because we have to make a concentrated effort. But I'm also very excited that Jesus, the very next sentence says, oh, but hey, with God, all things are possible. Yeah. So we do get to be in the kingdom of God. But man, we are missing out on uh, the deep relationships. And maybe that's it. We, a good place to end that if that's it, you feel that longing and that emptiness because um, another thing Younger talks about is that in the PTSD of, of soldiers coming home, if all we were doing is medicating them, we're actually not curing them. Curing them is putting them back into a community of purpose and meaning. Correct. Medicating them might take the edge off, but it was community that they, they had. It's community that they missed, and it's community that will cure them. Yeah. And for us... We desperately need that. Like God knew that we need that. And so he created a church so that we could be that together. And if that's something you long for, man, take some chances, take some risks. Um, it's going to require some sacrifice. I had this conversation with a young friend of mine who is talking about how busy they are right now. And, uh, and you know, with no judgment at all, you know, to him, but he said, but so we're so busy and so we're kind of we're kind of really committed to helping out of this specific part of the church so we're just kind of laying low on Sundays for a while because we just we're just so busy every place else with it and I you know I've, I've wanted to hug him and say oh man you have no idea what you 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 are busy for sure but you're cutting the wrong thing yeah. out of your life because what you need is fellowship what you need is deep and profound and by the way even if that meant the small group i would even rather that be it than right. just like volunteering in the parking lot and going home or volunteering at youth and going home and then that's the only gathering you have i would rather you not even do that but just get together in fellowship with each other because that's what you're wired for right and that's where your depression is arising from um I don't want to oversimplify it, but I don't want to overcomplicate it. That, that you know, those that loneliness is coming, and there is a cure, and it's called a church, and it's not easy. I mean, they're they're definitely. Hey, you know what? I, I tried that, and it didn't work. Um, try again. Try another group. Go to another one. Go to go to another church. Like, but but don't quit. Um, over the years, when you hear people talk about like with a medical thing, well, I tried that once, and it, it didn't really work, and. Um, some of these medical things, it's not something you try. Like, you do it. Like, right. it's a, it's the cure. So you do that. You take that. You don't try vitamin D. You take it. All right. It has a compounding benefit to it. And that's what church is. It's what he meant it to be, whether you want to call it the ecclesia, the gathering, the small group, the meetup, whatever. But it's a group of Jesus people coming together, acting like Jesus together. And in that mission, the purpose, the meaning of it, uh, is exactly the very thing that we need. People, um, and we probably need to land on this, but the United States right now has the highest PTSD rate in the world amongst our soldiers currently. And we also have the lowest casualty slash injury slash whatever rate in history. Wow. Uh, Percentage-wise. And 
and they make some uh, assessment of, hey, you know, it's become easier to claim a disability or whatever, uh, because which is good. We wanted our soldiers to be taken care of. That's not a bad thing. But again, in this book, uh, Younger talks about that the problem uh, doesn't seem to be the battle, but it's the society that they came home to. Right. Not Vietnam. Uh, where they were not welcomed home and whatever he talks he does address that but literally coming home now to that kind of loneliness uh and it's not just the soldiers i i'm willing to bet large sums of money that these psychologists are right that the the loneliness uh the isolation that we're experiencing is not how we were designed to be and that's where the anxiousness and the fear and and if you're there right now man put your toe back in the water uh whether you're coming home from military or whether you are just a, a mom trying to figure it out with your kids, uh, don't isolate yourself. But engage yourself. So what, I don't know. Serve in the parking lot. Serve on a Sunday. Get, get yourself in a position where you're with other Jesus people on a regular basis. Uh, it's for your own good and it's for their good as well because you actually get to bring something to the table that benefits and blesses their lives as well. Yeah, as we wrap up here, a couple little action items that we, uh, we we talked about on Sunday, we'll talk about today. If you're local to Conduit, local to Franklin, and you want to get plugged in, want to know more about some small groups or some some um, some meetups or just ways to connect, find connection, um, and or want to help support what's happening in Uganda with the food relief, you can do this one simple thing, and it will give you give you the information that you need. It is just to text. The word COIN, K-O-I-N, which of course is short for koinonia that we talked about, which is the meaning of fellowship. We realize that koinonia is not an easy word to spell. Right, right. So we made it simple. Just text K-O-I-N, those four letters, K-O-I-N, to uh, 97,000, 97000. K-O-I-N to 97000, and it will shoot you back a couple of links um, that you can click on to find out more about either uh, just a discipleship group or any type of meetup group here at Conduit, or allow you to donate to what's happening in Uganda. Yeah, send your fellowship. And listen, you got a dollar, you can buy four people lunch. Like when I have to take my family to lunch here, and there's four of us there, uh, the dollar isn't even covered the tip, right? I mean, you can, I think what's the, you get, what can you get for a dollar in American? I guess you can get a, like a large Diet Coke at McDonald's. I don't even think it's a dollar anymore. Oh, it's not? Oh, that's disappointing. But you can buy four kids lunch for just a dollar. It's incredible. Uh, it is incredible, right? You can send your fellowship to them. Like, it actually matters what you, you, you do that. And interesting, on Sunday, we had 97 people, this is a fascinating statistic, respond to that, texting 97,000. And of the 97, one of them clicked the link for getting into small groups, and the other 96 clicked uh, to donate, which is awesome, and we were super grateful for that, but you need some fellowship. So maybe everybody, the other 96, maybe you're already connected, you know, you're in a <laughs> small so. group. I hope so, right? But if you're not, I dare you to click the other link and get engaged with a group and just see what Jesus might do uh, in your life. K-O-N, K-O-I-N to 97,000. Of course, you can find that same information at our website, conduitchurch.com. Or if you have the Church Center app, you can download that 
and uh, you find the inform- same information there as well. We are glad to have you back, Darren. We are continuing in this Essential Church series. We have a few more weeks. We're kind of right in the middle of it and uh, some awesome content to come. And we're just so glad that you tuned in to us today. 